We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. everyone. Thanks for listening. Today, Laura and I are going to be having a special one-on-one conversation talking about choosing a birth team, who you're going to want to be there, who you're going to not want to be there, and how that can sometimes change over the course of your pregnancy. We talk a lot about the value of having a support person such as a doula and share some thoughts on the situation of worrying that your partner may not be able to provide the kind of support that you'll need during labor. We also want to share that we'll be doing a big announcement at the end of today's episode. We've got an exciting giveaway going on, and we'll share all the details at the end of the show, so stay tuned. So we're talking about choosing a birth team today, and we were recently talking to a mutual friend who is in her second trimester and thinking through who she's going to want to be there when she goes into labor. Yeah, and I think it's hard. Um, Something that I've seen when I worked as a doula and then even now as a nurse is it's hard to know who would be the best people to have on your team for labor support and that mixed with who wants to be part of that team and how do you make those decisions and who, who are the important people in the room. Yeah. So. I, think, I think another part of that too is being able to change those decisions if you start feeling differently. Like I think there are people that, you know, think they would never want their mother to be at their birth. And then their mother ends up being such a supportive presence throughout their pregnancy for them that they're like, I don't think I can do this without my mom. Or vice versa, where they think, of course I would have my mom there. And then throughout the process, realize that would be a horrible mistake. That will make me anxious. That will, you know, whatever it would be. So being able to make those decisions, which I think is hard to do both just from a, just from figuring it out and being honest with yourself, but then also from the hard conversations that might come from that. Like the relationship implications. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, I, I felt unsure about whether I wanted my mom to be there and she lived so far away that it just felt like a little bit of a, we'll just see what happens. Like, what are the chances that she could get there? Well, it turns out if you have a 56-hour labor, the chances are high that she'll make it. <laughs> she'll make it. <laughs> she'll be there for most of it. Um, and fortunately for me, that was the best thing ever. I don't know if I could have done it without her. I mean, I did have other good support, but I think my mom was definitely a rock in that process. And then I knew that I had to have her at my second birth, which was definitely very beneficial as well I think it's interesting too when you um kind of approach this idea you're usually early on in your pregnancy or maybe maybe you had the forethought to think about it before you even got pregnant but most people they're maybe nearing the end of their first trimester maybe they're in their second trimester and starting to think more more about like the physicality of what that day is going to look like Mm -hmm. maybe at that time you've also read you've talked to your friends you've heard stories at least in my community, 
you know, a lot of people are very supportive of having a doula. So a lot of my friends then go, well, like, so-and-so had a doula and so-and-so had a doula. And everybody who had a doula said that you absolutely have to have a doula. Yeah. And then I watched this movie and I read this book and they said you have to have a doula. But I don't know a doula. Right. So I get a lot of, like, do you know any good doulas or would you be my doula or conversations. And then it's kind of, like, from there understanding what a doula is and what Mm -hmm. they do and I think something that I always think about and I'd like I think I'm sure we've talked about this but I feel like doulas exist because we changed the culture of birth Mm -hmm. and we moved it from being a family yeah home-based event like yeah uh, giving birth and being a part of people's birth story was as common as celebrating Christmas or getting a dog or (laughs) Yeah. moving into a new house because it was a part of everyday life that we shared with our sisters and our cousins and our aunts yeah our moms and our grandmas and when that changed well and those people those people inherently possessed that you know knowledge or skill set you know not necessarily that they were trained professionals or anything but you know your aunt or your sister or your mom would have you know had multiple babies of her own would have likely attended and you know been at other births so it would be something that they would you would expect them to have something to offer you you would expect that they would be beneficial support to you whereas I think nowadays so many people are like what would my mom do like she would just be panicking in the room you know or she would be overbearing or she would be unhelpful or you know whatever whatever it would be. I'm actually working on my doula certification right now. And one of the things that I did not know and thought was really interesting, um, you know, cause I've known about and believed in, you know, the idea of continuous labor support for, you know, as long as I've been an adult thinking about birth. Um, but I had never, never come across the information that there's actually research um, showing the difference between like a a doula, like someone that you actually like hire for continuous labor support, even compared to like someone within your social or family network. And if I remember correctly, the um, if you have continuous labor support as compared to not having continuous labor Mm -hmm. support whether that is from a family member or you know someone someone outside of that network um it it improves outcomes across the board um but what having someone outside of your family or social network provides in addition to improved outcomes is improved satisfaction with the process Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting thought for me um thinking about obviously you know the things that we love and are passionate about birth, which is really just about women being able to own their experience Mm -hmm. and, you know, be informed and be able to make choices and be able to, you know, have a say in how this incredible and significant event that involves their body and, you know, this child that they're bringing into the world that they're going to have a relationship with for the rest of their lives, you know, just how that process goes but thinking about, you know, any any potential work that I do in the future with birth and certainly the work that you obviously do with birth, mm-hmm. it's like, how, you know, what do we bring to the table that even a mom can't bring to the table? And in, 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 in a 
you know, inverse question to that is what can a mom bring to the table that we can't? Like sure, they're, sure. they're not exclusive or mutually exclusive questions or ideas by any means. But it is such a powerful thought that 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 idea of continuous labor support and from someone that you know has no other they have no other reason to be there like of course if you have a doula they're excited to meet your baby and they're you know like kind to your partner and you know all of those things but really they're just there just to support you and your labor process there's no other agenda there's no other history there's no other um you know there, there's nothing that conflicts with that. There's just no other competing, you know, element going on, which is a, it's it's just really unique. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing that people, that's kind of the take home. If there's like a motto or a mantra of having a doula, it's the continuous labor support. And yeah. I think what that means to me as someone who provides labor support is, I love even, you know, my job working as a labor nurse, I love when people have doulas. I love working with doulas in the hospital because there are endless amounts of things that they bring from their experience from supporting labor that I constantly learn from, that my patients benefit from. But the special piece of that is um, when you hire a doula, you know, like we're talking about kind of in the timing, you spend time with them Mm -hmm. and you talk with them. And again, like you were saying, their only agenda in that time leading up to your birth, at your birth, and after the baby has arrived is to figure out how to best support your team. Mm -hmm. So whether that team is you and your partner, if that team is you, your partner, and your mom, that team is not your partner, it's just you, it's you, a friend, a mom, a sister, whoever that team is, your doula is aiming to make sure that they're supporting your team as much as they're supporting you so that in the end, they you feel like everyone was best equipped for that moment in those days and those that kind of you're talking about the Mm -hmm. satisfaction piece and I think that's something that's really hard to explain and quantify until you see it or feel it or experience it and I've had several conversations especially with partners who feel like well I'm going to be there and we're doing the classes and I I don't want to feel threatened by this other person being involved right or what will I do then if you have the doula and the reality is it's just as much the doula's, you know, responsibility to support the partner supporting mm-hmm. you as it is to support you and your birth as right. well. And so it's her um, or him coming up with ideas like yeah. she really liked it when we did this. Do you remember a few hours ago when she was on the ball and we were rubbing her back like this? Let's go back to that. Yeah. Have you eaten? Have you had something to, you know, have you had something yeah. to drink? Do you need a nap? Where can I step in partner support to help you? Yeah. So I think it's it's a really valuable role that is new, but mm-hmm. it has definitely grown a lot. It's newer. I guess it's renewed. Yeah. It's not new. Yeah. But it's been renewed in the last 20 to 30 years, specifically in the last 10 years, yeah. and we're kind of modern circles. And I think for me, if we're answering the question, who who should be on your team or who should be in the room? A doula. Yeah. Number one. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) Get a doula. I remember with both of my births, I had back labor. And especially with my first birth that was really long, it was sort of a series of, you know, exchanging hands between like who was giving me counter pressure because I kind of needed it nonstop for like 
you know, not an insignificant length of time. And Chase was the best at it by far. Like, I, I don't know if it was just because he was the strongest between my doula, my mom and him. He was uh, the joke was that afterwards I I had apparently made some comment about and was sitting, you know, straddling a toilet and like moaning, Chase's hands are the best. <laughs> um, but he wouldn't have even known what counter pressure was. Like, you know, he was the best at it. He was the best able to give me that support, but he only was able to give me that support because he had the guidance and, you know, um, training really from, from the doula who knew this is what we should try. She's having back labor. Right. Um, he would have been completely lost without that. And there weren't, you know, there weren't any nurses that were like suggesting those kinds of options. You know, it was, it was up to us to figure that stuff out. So I think, I think too, a, a doula can provide contextual feedback. You know, I mean, there's, there's, it's sort of a two-way relationship. Like your partner or your mother or someone like that is going to know your emotional history and know sort of how you typically receive comfort or like, you know, what your interactions usually are, but they're not used to seeing you in that context. And right. they don't know, they honestly often don't know what's normal. They don't know that the response you're having to these contractions, which may seem really intense is, you know, is just a physiological part of the process and not, you know, something to be, to be afraid of. And I think that partners in particular can be really overwhelmed by seeing the intensity. Yeah. By seeing their, you know, their, their wife or partner in that situation and, you know, can react strongly to that, not necessarily in a, in a intentionally negative way, but I remember a couple of times during both of my births where actually both my mom and Chase were kind of like yelling at me almost like, yeah. and they were trying to be encouraging. They were trying to say like, you know, push or you, you, you know, you've got this, whatever it was. And it, you know, it took someone else sort of having both experience, but also an objective eye to say like, maybe we should actually calm her down a little bit instead of amping her up, you know, or, and it could go the other way. It could be like, it's time to really lay on the encouragement or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. I think sometimes that person just has the, the perspective to see even where things are misfiring. I'm reading through Ina May's book again right now, her um, guide to childbirth. And she just talks so many times about like, how the posture or presence of anyone in the room can have such a huge impact mm-hmm. on the laboring woman. And it can be, she tells the story of a husband who had been, you know, sitting behind his laboring wife for the entire time. And she, she, you know, was commenting on how he was so strong and she felt so safe leaning up against him. And he said, oh, well, I had to pee for 12 of those hours. And she had had difficulty dilating the last few centimeters. And, um, you know, Ina May 
and the other midwives in attendance were really felt like it the that the man's tension had actually Energy. like yeah. yeah had actually affected her ability to relax even though that was completely unspoken he was obviously being incredibly supportive and incredibly you know present and yet by you know not meeting that basic need of his own you know they they may have I mean, who knows? Like, there's there's sure. no way to run that experiment twice, but... Yeah, and I think in that kind of same vein, as far as, like, the noticing and the posturing, I think that doulas can also be a bouncer. Mm-hmm. Like, they can be people who see um, a laboring woman struggling dealing with the people she's invited to her birth, and they can be the voice that says, I think you should go get something to eat. Yeah. I think, you know... They, they, again, they're this kind of outside party observer of this person that they're getting to know. Um, and they can, they can kind of say, like, I don't think this is working out. Yeah, you they know? can see all the dynamics. Yeah, they can see the dynamics. They can see how that's affecting her labor. I think that doulas are also a really great resource as you build up to birth. You know, if you mm-hmm. choose someone in your community who is part of the birth community, they know all the classes. They know the prenatal yoga classes. They know where you can get used baby shoes and the best place to buy a secondhand bob stroller yeah. because this is their life. Their life is helping people have babies. And so they tend to also just be this kind of like open up to this secret birth mm-hmm. world that you don't know about until yeah. you go through it and come to the other side of it. And I think, you know, not to mention, you know, with training their specialties in not only just childbirth support, but also initial breastfeeding. I think it's kind of like, you know, you get a little bit of each part of expertise and things you don't even know that you need kind of as they develop. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm curious if you ever, because of the context in, in which you see births, which is so diverse in a hospital mm-hmm. setting, you know, socioeconomically, in all of those different ways, do you ever have situations where it seems really strongly evident that there's someone here that shouldn't be here, including perhaps a partner? Like, is there are there ever moments where you're like, this is damaging to this process? Yes. Yeah. And what, I mean, is that ever a partner? Like, do you think there's ever yes. a case for someone saying like, hey, like we're together? Like, it's not like a... I'm not talking about like a single mom who's like trying to decide whether or not she should have like her sperm donor at the birth, you know, whatever, whatever example we might come up with. But like, you know, someone in a committed relationship that's like, I don't think my partner can be here. I mean, is what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I go so back and forth in my mind between thinking about birth as like something that's very normal and very animal and and anyone and everyone can be a part of it Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be traumatic it doesn't have to be too intense it doesn't have to be exclusive I guess yeah Um, I think most people think of birth as like this really intense traumatic thing that only certain people can endure and nobody should have to watch right if we took like a general poll of everyone that's alive yeah in modern America Um, but I do think for some people birth can be some of those things yeah and that's the time when I feel like even a partner might not be a supportive person at a birth. Mm-hmm. Even if that, they want to be. Even if they want to be or even if they think they are being supportive. And I think that that's the part that can be difficult. Right. I think, you know, most of what I see in maybe a diverse birth birth environment is people who 
maybe don't want to be mm-hmm. or don't not, don't have the capacity to be supportive in that environment. Yeah. So they kind of go in this other category where it's like you don't have the capacity to be a supportive partner. I think that when you have people, you know, I guess if, I guess what you're asking is like someone who's in like what you would call like a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. In a committed relationship. Yes. Like, yeah. Th- I mean, this is their yeah. partner. They're with them. We're ra- we're going to raise this child together. Like this is not someone I'm like may or may not be in my life in the future. Yeah. I think that the, the only time that I feel like a part, it can be difficult for a partner and that is when it's personality based mm-hmm. and some of it's control. So as everyone knows, birth is not something that can be controlled or timed. We can have intentions and we can have ideas based on how things are progressing or what interventions are being implemented. But birth's not something that can ever be predicted. predicted. Yeah. And so times when I've seen that be difficult uh, for partners is when either things are going a lot longer than they anticipated going. Yeah. Or things aren't going, or maybe the opposite, things are going much faster than anyone anticipated. Yeah. Um, a, a story comes to mind about a partner that was actually their third baby. And so they had come to the hospital right away because she had had a very quick second delivery. And the mom really wanted to have And this a, was the third? Yes, yeah. the third delivery. The mom really wanted to have an epidural. She had been pretty intensely affected by having an unmedicated very fast delivery she had an unmedicated first delivery that was a little bit more kind of slow manageable. and manageable for her the second one was so fast and so intense that she had a very strong aversion to wanting to do it again yeah so they came straight to the hospital middle of the night and we're doing everything we can I mean, the first word out of their mouth ma- the first thing out of their mouth was i want to get an epidural you know and so i'm, I'm I check her she's eight centimeters things yeah. are moving very quickly I'm, you know, I'm calling privately and saying this baby's coming at any moment. You need to get the midwife here. But we're also preparing her. So there's all these things we have to do before you can get anesthesia. So we're doing everything we can. We're drawing labs. We're giving fluids. We're doing all all the paperwork so that if if this is a possibility, we have helped her. Right. Everything's ready. To everything's go. ready to go if, if, if this is a possibility. Obviously, in my own my own like nursing mind, I'm like, this is not going to happen. The baby's going to yeah. come. These things take a minimum of 30 minutes to do, even if we're the fastest we've ever been at doing it. Yeah. Of course, it's not that way. It's difficult to get an IV. The lab sample is not drawing. So things are even drawn out. We settle her into her labor room and she has her baby. Mm-hmm. Um, she has her baby like 20 minutes after she gets in the door. Wow. So, and she, she was not happy. She yeah. was so fixated throughout that third pregnancy on getting an epidural and not having to go through that again. It was the ultimate failure for her yeah. to not have that. And so for her partner, it was the ultimate failure of us right. to not give that to her. And so he, it became an issue. Yeah. He was very upset. He was very upset every time we were touching her or doing things. We, he wasn't sure why we weren't moving faster, why things weren't working, why the anesthesiologist wasn't there. Didn't we understand? Didn't we know what was going on? And he was forgetting Mm-hmm. his partner right she was laboring you know with it with a nurse but uh, not what she was laboring without her partner because his obsession with right 
taking care of her in this one aspect had outweighed everything else. He neglected everything else. He neglected emotional support. And yeah, I mean, when they first came in, he was holding her hand and rubbing her back and walking with her. And all of that went out the window when he realized this one thing that she really wanted wasn't going to happen. I think that's a very normal stress response. Yeah. And he's trying to be an advocate. So this is a, this is a person that's like, he, he has every intention of being supportive. Like he's, you know, probably, has learned from past experiences and he's like, I'm going to be, you know, the advocate. Right. (laughs) So it's hard. And it's like, you look at that situation and you think like, I look at it from an outside perspective and I'm just like, he can't even see what's going on here. Like, can he just like, you know, I, I, again, cause I know contextually, this is not going to happen. Just let it go, buddy, you know, in my head. But also like, I understood where he was coming from. And so I think that's like a really small example of something that can happen over time. I think, Mm -hmm. That can happen in a a longer labor where it's just like, this isn't working. Yeah. You know, and here's your partner that you're supporting. You're exhausted. They're exhausted. And you kind of you've come to the end of it and you're like, this isn't working. This baby's not coming. And any kind of partner language like that is obviously not overall helpful. But again, it's from that voice of like, I care so much and so deeply about this person that I need them to I need them to not be in pain anymore. or I need them to not be as stressed out or whatever whatever fill in the blank is like I think that's when it's hard and that's the part of partner support that I think is really beautiful Mm -hmm. because it is this thing where it's like I am so connected to you and this person that I literally like will crawl out of my skin to help you yeah but it can also be a downfall because they don't know they don't have the context yeah so like we were talking about earlier it's like I don't know. I've logged hundreds of hours of watching women labor. So I can look at someone and try to make an assessment of what I think. I don't have to check a cervix. I don't have to touch their body. I'm like, well, judging on how you're acting, I think you're getting close to delivering or not. Yeah. The partner doesn't know that. Right. All the partner sees is every second, every minute, the partner, every hour. Yeah. The, the, the mom's been close to delivering since she was like had contractions eight minutes apart as far as the partner is concerned. Right. And and it's appropriate. That's yeah. the, that's the stress evolutionary response that let's like, let's, let's get to the skilled people. Let's have yeah. this baby. Let's be safe. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the train that they're driving. Whereas, you know, other people who might be involved have different yeah. perspectives. And so I think that that's, I don't know if that's, I feel like that's what you're asking as far as the, partner. yeah, I mean, that is what I'm asking. I mean, and that it brings us back to the, to the doula piece because obviously you know a doula who has at least some you know context and relationship with the family is going to potentially be able to preempt some of those you know those partner dynamics even before birth starts mm-hmm. but certainly like once you know birth has begun and once you know once the mom's in active labor it's like okay you know really coaching the partner on how to be and how to support and how to you know integrate like the emotional and physical and the advocacy piece and all of that and I think it's just I'm just I'm also kind of just like asking from the standpoint of like I wonder you know when we're thinking about this from the standpoint of forming a labor team forming you know, who you're going to ask to be there and who you're mm-hmm. going to potentially ask to not be there that already thought they were going to be there, like your mother-in-law or, you know, whatever that is. Like how many women are, you know, approaching the end of their pregnancy and wondering, like, can my partner, like, 
do this? Can they be there for me? And like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering. I mean, I, I'm not suggesting that the answer would very frequently ever be that like, we're going to tell the partner he needs to get out of the room. But I bet you that sometimes, I mean, has to happen. It's like, maybe even just like, maybe go wander the halls for a little bit, buddy. No, (laughs) and I think that's, I think that's the most common thing is the idea of like, everybody needs a break. And there's only one person who can't take one. Yeah. And so as, as difficult as it is, I think it's always a good idea to, I think my biggest suggestions are always like, have you had something to eat? Do you want to go to the cafeteria or do you want to grab a snack? Even just like in my home birth experiences, like, why don't you go to the kitchen, make yourself a snack and go sit on the porch and eat it? Why don't you take a walk around the the block? Why don't you go get coffee? Why don't you call and update your mom? Right. Giving them something to do. Absolutely. That's that's towards the goal. Like, yeah. Taking care of themselves or, you know, I had a friend who, a dear friend who labored for days and it was taking naps. Yeah. Like her partner and I would give each other naps. Like we would give each other 10, 15, sometimes 30 minute naps where it was just like, just go into the bedroom, close the door. I'm here. We are safe. She is fine. Yeah. And just turn off your brain. Yeah. And he would rally and it was made such a big difference to come back and support. Chase took a couple of naps. Yeah. During my labor with Aiden. And he, he really needed tasks too. Like he needed someone to say, you know, I mean, the counter pressure was a thing that was ongoing throughout my labor, but other tasks were so helpful too. Like, you know, go fill the tub, you know, or go empty the tub. The water's cold now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, whatever. Like, I mean, you can literally make stuff up to just be like, just give them something to be. Yeah. And to feel, um, I think a sense of purpose. And I think one of the things in, in the, um, doula class that I'm doing last week, we kind of brainstormed like what do women need to feel, safe and what Mm -hmm. do women need to feel like this is something they can do and we talked about all kinds of things obviously the obvious things like respect and consent and Mm -hmm. you know um all of those things but we talked about familiarity and then we talked about purpose and I think that's true not just for the laboring mom but for definitely for the partner um (coughs) but in in a broader sense really for the entire birth team, like mm-hmm. this sense of like, even when maybe labor is not as progressive as we would want it to be, or as we, you know, think it should be, or even when we're faced with decisions about interventions that we were hoping to avoid or whatever that is, like you kind of need a sense of purpose. And sometimes that can just be a really small purpose. Like the water in the tub is too cold. It, mm-hmm. we have to fill it again, you know? Um, I think that's, yeah, and I don't want to generalize too much, but I think men do need that. You know, they need like a sense of like, this is where we're headed. This is, you know, these are the steps it takes to get there. Um, Here's how I can contribute. And I've never been a partner at a birth, but I can only imagine how much you must feel simultaneously like, you're so much a part of this and yet so excluded from it. Like Mm -hmm. you are just not experiencing what your partner is experiencing and you, you can't get there. There's no, you know, there's no amount of like, 
you know, transcendence that's going to like put you in that place yeah, and that I think the laboring mom is in. Difficult too, because you kind of have to, you don't know. I feel like the the thing that's the hardest to explain is you don't know what you will be like mm-hmm. or your partner will be like until it's already happening. Yeah. And so the best that you can ask for is people to help you prepare yourself. And some of that is kind of what you're saying, like relationship dynamics. Like, um, I know when I was in doula training, we talked about how you cope with discomfort Mm -hmm. as an individual. So, you know, talking with the partner and talking with the mom, because the reality is you are going to try to comfort someone in the way that you would would want to be comforted. Yeah. Um, But as we all know, we give and receive comfort, love. Yeah. distrust affection. in all different ways yeah. affection everything every emotion that we have ex- that we personally experience it might be different for someone else and the way we would want that person to respond is most likely yeah. different because it's based on our own experience yeah. i think labor is you know just an apostrophe of that it's saying like i am going to be uncomfortable and i'm going to need responses and those will change and move mm-hmm. like a wave and i need you to not feel rejected yeah and i need you to keep coming at me yeah with more support yeah, because I think that's a hard thing to, to describe, too, is I feel like there are people who do this great amount of preparation and understanding and maybe are very self-aware and think like, OK, well, when I'm uncomfortable, I like to be quiet and I like to be meditative and I like to listen to music. So that's what's mm-hmm. going to be like when I go to labor. So they spend weeks crafting this perfect Enya based playlist and <laughs> they want candles and they and want aromatherapy and they want hypnobirthing affirmations yes. ready. And then birth happens and they want someone they don't want any music. They want yeah. all the lights on. They want someone touching them at all times and they want no one to speak. Yeah. Or the opposite. They want someone to constantly be telling them what's going on. Am yeah. I having a contraction? Does it look like it's almost over? Yeah. How, how many minutes has it been? I'm kind of like that. I'm kind of like I need the, the constant like not progress check as in like, I, you know, check my cervix or anything like that. But like I need that constant encouragement that like you're almost there (laughs) we talked about that on another episode we we recorded where like for like the last two hours of my second birth they were like that that was it that was the one I'm like that wasn't the effing one (laughs) there's been 47 of them yeah since you said it was the one you've been saying it's the one for forever (laughs) but as much as like I was frustrated by that at the same time clearly it it worked because it every time I every time like in that moment I believed them that this was the one you yeah. know <laughs> yeah so I think that that is you know as much as you can prepare and understand and know you can, it's kind of a mystery yeah. and it gets to be a mystery so then the most important quality of like your support people is that they are willing to change to adapt and to adapt yeah, yeah. and I think that's part of the who you would want to be there too if you don't see someone as a very adaptable person mm-hmm. um I think, you know, obviously we talked about this in another episode. I think your provider is very important. That's a huge part of your birth team. The trust relationship there, the understanding of what care looks like there is paramount. Mm -hmm. Um, Your partner's involvement is also obviously very important. We've been talking about that. A doula. Mm -hmm. I think when you start adding more people, you just have to keep asking the same kinds of questions. Yeah. Like, what does this person bring to this room? You know, we talked about the doula brings unbiased experience and just a lot of tools mm-hmm. the partner brings intimate knowledge support and and personal experience this is their yeah. yeah this is their baby too this is their day as well yeah uh, you know the provider brings their 
expert knowledge and care and plan and observation mm-hmm. as well. So then anyone else, so, you know, with Melissa, with her mom, um, her mom we interviewed too, she said 10 births, so obviously she has expert knowledge as yeah. well. <laughs> but I think what she didn't know, didn't anticipate was that her mom was this really great calming support. Yeah, There was a calm confidence in having Moomer there that she didn't even know how powerful that could be. I think the, the biggest effect for me with my first birth was um, I did end up with, you know, a series of of interventions, including like, you know, Pitocin augmentation and an epidural. And those decisions were really made from the standpoint of an unprogressive labor, not really from a like this, you know, from a like pain management standpoint. And I was so torn about those decisions, not just because of my, my birth plan or like, you know, some idea I had in my head, although of course those were factors, but there, there was no, there was never a situation in that birth where, where my son was in distress, and so, for me, I'm, I'm a coper, mm-hmm. like I'm a, I handle life by just like you just put your nose to the grindstone and you handle shit mm-hmm. and you don't give up, and so it was very hard for me to make decisions like, you know, agreeing to, you know, to augmenting with Pitocin because I was just like stuck at whatever, whatever it was like five centimeters for a million years. Um, and I, and Chase was super supportive, but not really, I mean, he just had no context or like vantage point Mm -hmm. on those things, you know? And I feel like my mom, even though she had never been in my exact scenario, she was just, she was a voice that I trusted, obviously. And and I'm not saying I didn't trust the care providers in that setting, but she was someone that I just really felt like I could trust to help me make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And so not only was she a comforting presence to me in terms of just, you know, like managing labor but she really really helped me to feel confident in the choices that I made and in the end I feel like the choices that I made for that labor were the right choices Mm -hmm. Um, and I made really different choices in my next labor for a lot of reasons Um, and in that labor my mom didn't provide that that kind of like confidence in like the the trajectory of my birth it was in that birth she was just a comfort she was just there for like physical and emotional comfort Mm -hmm. um but I think it's I think that all of that goes to say that you can be surprised what someone Mm -hmm. will bring to the table and I think like you were just saying when you're evaluating people beyond like obviously the core birth team that's going to have to be there you're you know, your doctor, or your midwife or whoever that's going to be and, and choosing a doula for that continuous labor support and your partner beyond that, like the questions you have to ask are like, wh- what's, what's the history of this person's emotional availability to you? And I think the, que- what you were just saying too, about the adaptability piece is huge because, you know, adaptability has to do with stress response. It has to do with like being able to observe, you know, where someone's at emotionally. It, it has to do with all of those things. And if you have someone at that birth that, that 
can't react and adapt to how things are going, whether it's that it's longer than usual or there are like interventions that you're having to make decisions about and things get hairy and stressful or whether it's just that they, you know, just how they're, how they respond to, to this situation and how, I mean, you know, the mother daughter relationship is complicated. It's not something that even if you have a good relationship with your mom, like there are all kinds of ways that mothers and daughters trigger each other. And, and it's, it's different than the the partner relationship Mm -hmm. in that way. Cause I think in, in birth, there's a little bit, like I said, where the partner's more not more involved it's just that they even if you have conflict with them yeah typically you're the best at resolving conflict quickly with your partner because you have to live your life and you also know what each other is like at your current state of development in stress Mm -hmm. so you know something I observe a lot with involving parents whether that's your mother or your partner's mother is it depends on much your relationship has evolved since they were your primary person who was there during your life and your your development of stress response I think if they still treat you like you're 18 or 12 yeah that's very difficult because now you here you are having this extremely adult experience that you have yeah well the interesting thing is is that even if you and your you know mother parent are you know I mean you could have lived out of the house for 20 years at this point there's actual research that shows that Like if people like move back home and obviously having a baby is not the same as moving back home. But if you move back home, like statistically, you and your parent or parents will revert to interacting the way you last. And like when when you left home, whether that was 18 or, you know, whatever, like you'll revert to that level of interaction because it's just so it's just so encoded at this point, you know, and I think. Sorry. No, that that was yeah. I think that that's something I observe a lot. And so in some ways that can be positive. I think yeah. that comfort piece, the part where yeah. there's a there I've heard a lot of women in birth say like I just want my mom because I will feel like mm-hmm. I will feel like there is comfort and there is resolution if she's here. Like yeah. I think I will feel safe if she's here. I think the opposite of that is a lot of times the dynamic you have with your parents is taking care of your parents' emotions. Right. And managing your parents' emotions or your partner's parents' emotions yeah. is something that people navigate a lot in adulthood. It's something they navigate a lot in a committed relationship. And expectations. Yeah. And so I think that a reason that you would not want anyone, anyone, whoever it is, but a lot of times it starts to be these other people you're mm-hmm. adding on, whether it's a sister or a mom or a brother or a friend is now you're managing their experience, their expectations and their yeah. emotions too. So say you have a best friend and all she's wanted to do is see a birth and it means so much to her and yeah. or maybe she's, you know, interested in birth or works in birth or, you know, maybe it's me. And there's this expectation then where it's like, well, you know, Lara really wants to be at my birth and my team is just getting really big, but I really want her to be here because she met because I love her and it, it yeah. means so much to her. And so then now you're going through this experience, this, your own personal intense experience and you're thinking about my feelings and mm-hmm. my emotions totally. and my presence and whether or not I will be happy with what's going on. Totally. And that's diverted energy away from your own experience and your own labor. Yeah. And that's when you start putting people on your list that are like, 
these people may want to be there, but maybe they shouldn't be part of my team. Right. Because you can totally have a mother that has an agenda for your birth. Mm -hmm. You know, she may want, you know, and think that you should have a natural birth and maybe you decide, you know, make a decision to have pain medication and, and you're like making that decision knowing that she is standing there judging you. And, you know, that can have a huge effect. I think it's, it's a complicated, complicated thing for sure with family. But my, my experience is that I was definitely nervous Definitely did not have the sense that some people have that, of course, I would want my mother there. There was some apprehension, and yet it turned out to be to be a really good thing. And I think that, you know, we have another friend who recently had a baby. Her mom was not at the birth, but, you know, I know she had some apprehensions about how her mom would be just in terms of the grandma situation and, you know, like the mother daughter dynamic now that she was pregnant and having a baby and then, you know, now a mother. And, and she's also been really pleasantly surprised by, you know, how her mother has shown up and by how, um, how their relationship has been able to grow and evolve as, as a result of adding, you know, this, this new life Mm -hmm. to that situation. And I think it's, it's good to be open to that. Yeah. And I think you, I think it's one of those things. If you really stop thinking about what other people want and stop managing the situation. So stop thinking like, well, if I don't invite this person, then they'll feel this way. Or if you actually just sit down with your partner or if you have, have hired a doula and you say like, who do I really, who do I feel really safe with? Like you said, who makes me feel really relaxed who would support me no matter what decision I made Yeah, and who would bring good things to those decisions. Yeah, It becomes very clear who should be in that room. Yeah. That's a good checklist. <laughs> Can I, you say that again? Because <laughs> I think that that's, that's what it really is. That's what the team is. And that's yeah. why, you know, we talk so much about having a provider that you trust because that, that incorporates all of those things too. Mm-hmm. Um, helping your partner become educated in the ways that they want to be educated about yeah. those decisions and things that can happen. But all that to say, there's a lot of family pressure, and I yeah. think that the best thing that you can do for yourselves is be really clear with your family before. Yeah. So I think Don't what a lot of people do last minute. is, yeah, they, they can't decide. They can't make yeah. the decision. They can't hurt the feeling. They don't know how to say it. They don't know how to, to, to have that kind of conflict with that individual. Yeah. And so what they end up doing is either waiting to the very last minute, which becomes very hurtful. Yeah. And then you're bringing kind of those emotions, or they don't do it, and then they do it when the experience is already happening yeah or they try to like hide their labor (laughs) like I've had so many people tell me like well we're just not going to call his mom it's like we just won't say anything oh it happened so fast yeah it's (laughs) like I really don't think it's almost impossible now with the way we live our lives yeah social media everybody has the one friend who thinks it's their their right and responsibility to post that you're (laughs) labor had a baby before you do it's like you can't control that as much anymore and so I think you know having these early conversations, finding out the team, making the list and just bringing that to these people and saying, you know, the most love and love of loving and supportive thing you could do is let my dog out. Yeah. Kind of giving them tasks to the most love and supportive thing you could do is come see us the next day and bring me lunch from Porkendo. That's all I want. You know, because people just want to be involved and they want to, they actually, yeah, they want to be involved and they want to feel important to you. And you can make them feel important a lot of different ways. They don't have to see your vagina. 
<laughs> I feel like that's something that I experience a lot with with my friends is yeah. there's always like a moment where I'm like, I don't know if they're going to ask me to be at my birth. And I've had people say to me like, well, wouldn't you be really offended if Ashley didn't want you to be there? And I was like, no. Yeah. Like if I invited everyone that I've talked to about birth or feel similarly to about birth to my birth, it would be like a freaking like I'd have to run out the Clinton Street Theater so everybody (laughs) could watch me push a baby out of my (laughs) vagina. It's like there's so many influential, great people who I know would be encouraging, but it's that's not my team. My team is the people who make the list and yeah, who, you know, who need to be there at that time in my life on that day yeah that's really what it is and you will only know that then like you don't even, I don't even know, know that, that now, now. Yeah. Uh, i mean i'm going to have a cat behind a dryer or i'm gonna have a baby behind a dryer like a cat though oh. <laughs> that's my future that's birth plan. plan so <laughs> just to put that out on the podcast i like that yeah. plan just by myself it's fine i love that idea like <laughs> i love i love the idea of just like a gentle forest birth like yeah. oh interesting here comes the baby i have a cousin who apparently has had two babies like practically in her sleep and I'm like maybe I'll punch you if I ever see you I don't see you very often but if I do now that I know that story you're dead to me (laughs) in in yoga class this morning um a woman who was there last week who was almost 41 weeks um she had her baby this week and her entire labor was two and a half hours start to finish and I just gonna need a little time (laughs) Don't come back to class too soon. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you your just your thoughts on this, given a hospital birth context. What do you think about, um, this is a little bit more peripheral of a piece of the labor team, but obviously sometimes in a hospital setting, there are opportunities for student um, student doctors or student nurses or whatever those may be to be there. Um and I know they, at least in my experience, have asked me, mm-hmm. you know, are you okay with these people being there? A, I'm wondering, is that something that is always asked? And and just what are your thoughts on, I know, because I know with my first, I said, that's fine. Like, I, I didn't love the idea of it, mm-hmm. but I was like, yeah, that's fine. And then with our second, Rowan, who was stillborn, we were like, if you even think about bringing, bringing a person like, in here, yeah. anyone else in this room, we will... You know, it won't be pretty. Yeah. <coughs> so, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that it's really again, it's kind of part of everything we've been saying, like what you're comfortable with. I think most, I will say this, and if you're having a baby in a hospital and there's students involved, uh, most likely they are either f- uh, resident doctors, so that means they're pretty far into their training, mm-hmm. and they're either kind of being exposed more to OB or they're they're actually finishing their obstetric training so that they can be a, a OB provider. Yeah. So it's not like a guy on his first day of med school right. who's, you know, never met a woman before or seen right. a birth, um, usually. Or nursing students, which is very common, in which case they would be completely observing. They don't actually get to do tasks. Because yeah. I think that that's part of the fear or the hesitancy is like, this person doesn't know what they're doing and then they're going to be delivering my baby. That's no. Right. And the other the other person would be like a midwifery student. Um, yeah. And if a midwifery student, again, is is at your birth, it's because they're at the very end of their training, the right. kind of the climax of the training. So I think if if we could dispel the fear of like, this is my per- my this is this person's first day and this is yeah. the most important day of my life. Yeah. Those those two things are not happening on the same day. Yeah. And then the other thing would just be if you were comfortable with them being a part of your care. So having just another it would be another person in the room. Yeah. Another 
like not another body or an opinion, or just another body, not another opinion. Yeah. So I think, you know, a really good thing if you're in a hospital situation or a clinic situation and there's any kind of, yeah, student observer yeah. environment is to ask your ask the person who's asking or ask your provider. So yeah. if you, you know, say they were like, can a med student come observe? You can ask your midwife. Like, I don't know. I don't really feel comfortable. Like, what do you think? Yeah. And um, usually, again, as a nurse, if that's happening and I can see that someone is kind of hesitant, that means you're not comfortable. Yeah. And that's OK. Um, I mean, I, I feel I feel this like big call to it because obviously I was that person and yeah. I will be that person again. Yeah. It's I mean, it's it's something I'm very torn about because clearly those people need training. Yes. And they need the exposure and they need the ability to observe and to be in these situations. And this is like. This has been true in the apprentice model since the dawn of time. So it's not like it's not like this is like brand new and now we're just trying mm-hmm. to, you know, change things up. So there's that whole side of it. Then there's the whole side of it of, you know, particularly in in the hospital system, like that person is probably someone you've never met. Yes. And like everything we know about how like the uterus has got stranger danger. Like, or the, I'll say the cervix has got stranger danger. Like, right, right. you know, and, and, and there are like, there, there's stuff that shows that like an, an unfamiliar person walking into a room can like actually reverse, you know, labor progress. Right. Like, so there's actual, it's not, you know, I mean, certainly it's about like the emotional comfort and, and preferences of the woman but there there are actual things at stake like right. you know having people in and out of the room is actually known to not be you know good for progressive labor and yet we have these you know we have Systems to we have up. to train yeah. these people yeah. i mean and not to like not to be too opinionated about like the actual you know birth model but i mean for me like you know i'm having I'm pregnant now and choosing a birth center birth that will have a a midwife assistant so a, a midwife student mm-hmm. at the birth um but I'm I've already met her four times by the right. time I have this baby I will have met her 10 times you know which or, is also common if you were seeing a nurse midwife in the yes. hospital that person would be following them in the clinic as well so you right. kind of have some exposure but just yeah. resident students, other students would be whoever was on that day yeah. that you were there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think obviously, you know, this may be a little, bit, a little bit of a circular conversation, but I think I would say at the end of it, like, you do have a right to say if you are comfortable with someone in your room that you will not have met, even if they're not going to be like performing vaginal exams. No, always. And that's any person in the hospital, you know, national patient safety goals are that you can have an advocate in your room if you feel unsafe with anybody and that you have the right to refuse care from any person. So I feel really strongly about that. I think labor is this kind of like unique experience where you are making a lot of decisions and kind of controlling your environment. Um, the The only time where I feel like someone might not ask you would be at a teaching hospital and Mm -hmm. some of that is because if you actually read their paperwork it talks about that as kind of part of accepting having your care there right but I think people still go out of their way to kind of make it clear yeah because you know that's that is a dynamic 
I guess it's probably not for this podcast, but a dynamic of having your baby in the hospital is the call schedule of your provider. Right. And you might be having someone deliver that you've never met before. So I think there is some of that that happens anyway, but you can, you know, absolutely have a voice in saying whether or not you want another person involved on your team. That's definitely something we will talk about another time is just even choosing between different models models of care and the the various things that come with all of that. The last thing on my mind to talk about with like choosing a birth team, which is, um, this is a little outside of the team concept, but, um, just the idea of having children. Yeah. I want to, I think we might do a podcast about that. Yeah. Cause I've had friends who have had kids. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to kind of talk with them, but yeah, cause I think they're part of your family too. And part of the story. Yeah. And I think, and obviously that's different, like, in so many different contexts. Like, if people are having a home birth, it's, you know, your mm-hmm. children are likely to be there. I mean, at least for some portion of your birth. You know, you may arrange for them to go somewhere else or, yeah. you know, you may have someone there that puts them to bed or does whatever. But obviously that's a more natural and um easy thing to do if you're having a home birth right we're we're planning to have Aiden at our birth but it's also you know there are a few variables like if it's 3 a.m when we go to the birth center am I going to wake him up for that probably not you know or if it's like a super long birth am I going to like keep him there keep him there or keep him up you know really late or Probably not. So just kind of, you know, I feel like it's a little bit, there's a few variables, but yeah. But I think it can be really magical and really beautiful too, to have your whole family at your birth. Any final thoughts on choosing your team? I think the bottom line, this is something we've talked about in various forms in this conversation is it's your team. Yeah. It's your choice. It's your day. It's your people. And the only other person that really helps in that decision making would obviously be your partner as far as like, yeah. and you know, and not everybody is a perfect match. I think, yeah. you know, if, if it's a doula that you're thinking about hiring, like interview few. Yeah. It's someone that works for you, just like your provider. It's someone that works for you. And there are different personalities of doula. Yeah. Like I like to think that I, you know, now on the other side, as I'm a doula for friends, I have a lot of context for the hospital. Mm-hmm. I have a really good understanding of how that works. I That's something I bring, and that might be a benefit or a drawback for people. Yeah. Um, I also just tend to be very proactive, and I want to do a lot of things, and I'm very coachy in my doula-ness. Yeah. It's very part of my personality. I'm also very jokey. I like to make lots of jokes in birth. <laughs> so that might not be good. For yeah. some people, that, that would be really offensive or inappropriate. And so I think that once you sit down with someone and you interview them and kind of get a sense for their experience, you know if it's the right fit or not. Yeah. And they expect that. A professional doula expects to be interviewed and hired or not hired. Yeah. So you can meet with a few different people. And obviously the best people to get recommendations for would be people who have had these people as their doula. Yeah. Um, and who could say, you know, this, these are the things about her that really clicked with me. Yeah. Um, this is what was really helpful. Yeah. And you can say like, man, I do think I really want someone who, I mean, you can get doulas that do acupuncture. You can get doulas who do massage. You can get doulas who do aromatherapy. Like yeah. if those are things that you're into, 
interview those kinds of doulas. Those are skills that they carry with them. So I think the biggest thing is that you, it's your team and you get to choose who's on it, whether that's your family or the doula or your provider and that, yeah, I don't know that you should keep that in mind. And I just want to reiterate what I said earlier too, that you can change your mind Mm -hmm. and, and I know that that's daunting especially if we're talking about like a care provider not just like you know it's daunting any 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 changes would be daunting like telling your mother that she can't actually come is daunting and yeah. telling your ob that they're a jackass and, you're, <laughs> you don't want them to be and you don't want them to be there anymore is also daunting um but those are those are real things that sometimes happen and i think that people need to know that it's okay you know mm-hmm. i i would caution against ever like firing a care provider before having a new one mm-hmm. in place if you're like anywhere close to being in labor. Um, but know that you can do that. You can even with a with an OB or a midwife say like this is not working. Like we are we are fundamentally opposed in, you know, what we what we want for this birth and I need to find someone that's aligned with, you know, with what I with what I'm trying to achieve. And I think there, you just have to not be afraid of that. Yeah. Yep. We hope this helps you choose who would be part of your birth team and how to have those conversations. So we want to share that we're doing our first ever giveaway over on Instagram. We've partnered with the amazing Lindsay Gilmore of Lindsay Gilmore Illustrations, and she is doing a custom portrait of your child for the lucky winner of our giveaway. You can head over to Instagram and see the details and the rules for participating. Basically, you need to follow us on Instagram, follow Lindsay, and tag some friends that you think might be interested in being part of the giveaway as well. The giveaway ends tomorrow, which is Tuesday, May 9th at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Lindsay's work is amazing, and we're so excited to be able to do this giveaway. Just saying, possibly a little belated Mother's Day gift? Thanks for listening to Mother Birth and being a part of this community. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode, and don't forget to rate us in iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. We'd also love to hear from you at motherbirth.co if you have any ideas for topics for us to cover or if you'd like to be on the show. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.